0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Spill, a movie night podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea. Film Spill, if you don't already know, is a podcast that comes out every week, and we talk about a movie by a female filmmaker every episode. We also discuss women in the entertainment industry in general, we play slumber party type games. Bill, entertainment, gossip, and get to know each other and our guest. This week, we have a very special guest, Allie, who is the owner of Work Our Way Productions and a documentary producer and director. I had the pleasure of meeting Allie during the Women's Weekend Film Challenge in NYC, which she was the producer of. Welcome, Allie. Hey, so good to be here.
1: So tell us a little bit about yourself and just your journey in the film world. Totally. Um. So I've got a really bizarre background. Uh, I did not take the conventional route to uh, where I am today in the documentary space. I started as a on-air journalist um, in the sports world when I was uh, in my young twenties. Became an investigative reporter after that, also for television. Um you know, I was in the military as a combat camera uh, instructor where I taught people, um, mostly men how to document combat um so needless to say, nothing really stresses me out anymore. <laughs> like nothing really, I don't consider much to be an emergency once you're in those kind of settings you really learn to chill the F out. Um, so I did that uh, and then I became a full-time freelancer in 2017. Uh, I was, and uh, in- initially going to be working as a uh, filmmaker in the travel space. So I worked with a lot of travel clients like Semester at Sea, Thrillist, TasteMade Travel, um, Booking.com, and then uh, the pandemic hit. Um, so this film is very meaningful to me because the film came out in 2021, uh, kind of in the midst of the pandemic. Um, but in 2019, I was actually living in Australia, also doing band life, working as a freelance filmmaker uh, in the bushfire uh, time of 2020. When back when we thought that that was going to be the worst thing about 2020, the bushfires of Australia, obviously we were very wrong. (laughs) And so, um, that's how I landed in New York. I was kicked out of the country in March, 2020, and, um, you know, had to find my way in New York city in a very turbulent time of our history. And, um, So I kind of just worked my way back up. And in May of 2022, I went back to full-time freelancing and have been in the documentary space ever since. So like I said, this uh, film, very meaningful to me. I know that there's um, a lot of mixed reviews about it, but I definitely watched it um, as someone who lived that life. And I thought that it was very, very worthy of all of the awards and, and nominations that it got.
0: Yeah, van life has become very popular nowadays. And a lot of people are starting to document their lives like on YouTube and social media. And that's given me like that sensibility that like, yeah, anyone can do it. Like, We can all live the van life and um, document ourselves like living this nomadic life style where like we can take our home anywhere that we are and not just considering a home A building or just um, an apartment building or a house but like considering yourself and the people around you that community more so a home but you were telling me that you did some thrillist work you're doing in the documentary space and investigating journalism so you did a lot of cool things in your career so far what made you initially get started in film like did you go to film school or did you just jump right in
1: I jumped right in. I got my degree from University of Minnesota, Twin Cities in journalism and communication studies. And specifically my communication degree was on nonverbal communication. So it was um, really studying people's uh, nonverbals. And uh, that really helped me when I worked in the travel space, because I was often communicating with people where English was not their first language. So a lot of what they actually meant came in their nonverbals, not so much what they were saying verbally. Um, So, I uh, I really had a passion for storytelling very early on. Um, you know, I was editor of my high school paper. I obviously worked in the investigative space for a while. Um, and for me, uh, part of the reason that I love documentary filmmaking is that I find that um, people's actual stories are uh, typically a bit more compelling than what I see in narrative film. Um, not to say that that's all narrative film is like that but i was drawn to documentary filmmaking and especially drawn to this film because um you know it highlights real people and real scenarios and how they get through that and i think part of the human connection is um that we we seek that and what i thought was really interesting um chloe Zhao, obviously the director behind this film she was being interviewed and she said you know with the we, we had like an 80 grand budget for certain scenes how do you make that different or more compelling than someone with an $80 million budget? And I think, um, you know, her answer was that, that connection, that human connection and, you know, being able to show imperfection and show non-actors in their natural space, be able to, to do a thing or say a thing. So all that to say, I was drawn to that very early on in my career. So when I did the Women's Weekend Film Challenge with you, that was my first time ever doing anything narrative ever. So leading a team and a crew that has only ever known that um was definitely shocking for me. I learned so much. Um as a documentary filmmaker what you generally do is film uh, the moments as they happen and then you figure out how you're going to put it together in post whereas narrative it's very much the opposite you need to figure out everything ahead of time and then post is is very easy it's basically just you know following a list of shots and you know there's not a whole lot of creative energy that goes into that it's just it's already laid out for you um so you know totally different um I guess ways to approach filmmaking um but I think for me that's always been the consistent and in my life. And as I'm doing more narrative work, I'm very inspired by directors like Chloe um, because she has managed to make this hybrid um, narrative documentary film. And we don't see a lot of that. You know, it's either one or the other. And even in the festival run, they're very strict. Like it has to be, if it's a documentary, it means that it's nonfiction through and through. There are no scenes. There's no actors. Um, And in the narrative side, it's, it's very much the same thing. It has to, you know, be mostly actors and there has to be a script and writers and all of that. Um, So it's interesting. It's almost like um, she's trying to create a subgenre. And um, I don't know if Nomadland is the movie that's going to inspire the industry to change. But I think what it is telling us is that there is a demand for that real life storytelling even in narrative films, and they can coexist um, with incredible narrative actors like Francis McDormand. So no, I did not go to film school. No, I did not work as a PA ever in my life. Like I um, took a very strange um, route to get to where I am. And, um, you know, I definitely credit um, a lot of the nonfiction experience that I've had along the way in terms of the reason that I'm where I am now.
0: Well, Ali is a true example that you don't have to go to film school to be a film director. And I know that I have, re- I, I've always loved documentary, like film style, film work. And I actually wanted to get into film, um, like documentary style filmmaking as well. But it's so different, so different than narrative, like you were saying. So how do you approach your style of documentary filmmaking?
1: Um, Well, if there's anything that I've learned, uh, even in the narrative space, is that you don't need a lot of fancy equipment. You don't even need a big crew. I think um, Land only had a crew of like 25 people, less than our short film crew um, that we worked on together. Um, So really the biggest thing that you need is just um, a really good story and access. If you can get those two things, you can make a documentary about anything. Um, One of the um, documentaries that I made recently was actually a documentary short called Ivy Grace. Thank <laughs> you. And it's about a woman, former Miss South Carolina, um, who was Christian, Republican, um, you know, pretty white woman who lives in the South. And because of Roe v. Wade, um, she was forced to go out of state for an abortion. And, you know, it was like this very painful process um, where she got a fatal fetal anomaly diagnosis called HLHS, which is where the heart stops developing. And um, because of the strict six-week ban in South Carolina, they were like, nope, if your life's not in danger, and if it's not rape or incest, then you're not entitled to an abortion. And, um, you know, it was the hardest decision she ever had to make. Um, but it was one that she she had to make because her baby would not have survived if she carried it to term. Um, and so, uh, you know, those are stories that you don't hear about very often. And they're very hard to talk about. And it requires an insane amount of trust with the protagonists and, and access to to doctors and and people who can also weigh in on the story. And we shot it in one day. Uh, we edited it in five so that we could get it out before the midterm elections. And um, you know it ended up going viral on Twitter. It was featured on CNN, NBC Nightly News. Um, you know BBC is going to do a hit on it in the future. And, um, you know, two days ago, the South Carolina uh, Supreme court overturned the six week ban. And so, you know, I don't want to be selfish and think that it was partly because of that documentary, but a lot of people said, you know, it very well could have been because it educated people on, um this abortion exception that maybe people don't understand. So, you know, that wasn't me. It was a crew of three people. It was me and, uh, an EP and a a videographer who went out and interviewed her and and nurses and, and other people. And, um, you know, we, we turned it in a day and, and as the result, it, it became this thing that in my mind really helped, um, actually change laws in South Carolina. Um, so that's the kind of work that I I that really resonates with me is you know um I had a, a mentor that told me one time if you're in a position where you can make something um like produce something, direct something, you better make sure that it changes the world in some way, you know like that's that is your right that is your um what you should be doing with this gift that you have and so um you know, I think in documentary filmmaking, you know especially um the ones that I'll be working on in 2023. All it really is, is just access. It's, um, you know, like I'll, I'm working on a feature length uh, documentary called Local Yokels about small town comedy. And it's my husband's a comedian. We got our start on Fort Collins, Colorado, and that's all you need. You just need a couple of people to say, yeah, you can film at my club. You can film my story. You can follow me on the road. And, um, you know, as long as you have a crew there to capture those moments, you have a documentary. So you know, it is daunting, I think, when people um, from the narrative side look at documentary and vice versa, and they think that you have to have this laundry list of requirements like film school or, you know, experience on set. The reality is the stories exist everywhere. You just need, you know, the the time and money and access to to film it. And, you know, I think for me, that's that's all that I tell myself that I need when I embark on some of these short or feature length documentaries.
0: That is some great advice, though, is to make something that's going to change the world. And we need more of you, Allie. Like we we need more people to tell these stories that aren't told. and People don't know about these stories. And there's so many out there that we just need to educate people on. And I know uh, sometimes it might people I think it's just excuses. And then not to say that, like, we all make excuses to, like, not do things, but um when it comes to like documentary filmmaking, you're right. People do see it as something that is daunting and like full length and it's going to require a lot, but in reality, yeah, you just need a camera and you just really need to be documenting real life things that are actually occurring, like things that are happening right now. Um, I know there are some things that I wanted to talk about in the documentary space where I feel like women comedians aren't recognized as much, like they're not talked about as much. So I wanted to make a documentary series where, um, I highlight these people in film that aren't talked about and their accomplishments aren't talked about enough. Um, I didn't, I didn't go through with it <laughs> because I did, I did, uh, start like self doubting myself. I'm like, no, I need this whole script. I need this and that I need to travel. And I, I don't have, uh, the space or experience for it. But like, after talking to you, I'm like, wow, I should definitely revisit that. I should
1: definitely revisit that story because you never know. Um, it could, it could change the world. It honestly could. And yeah, you know, there is a documentary out there called Women Aren't Funny um, that was produced and directed by a female comedian who's married to a very famous male comedian. I actually can't even remember his name off the top of my head, but um, you're right. Like there are underrepresented groups that um, also have stories to tell in these industries where maybe their stories aren't highlighted as much. Um, But yeah, you know, I, I really, um, like I fall into that same feeling where like, you know, you get imposter syndrome where you think like, oh, I don't have the the resources or the funds or the equipment to capture this properly. Um, you know, I, I remember working on a, you know, a documentary series in France and I was talking to other producers in the U.S. that were employed with the same company. And, you know, I would, I would visit them on their sets and they would have FX nines and like, you know, all these like Alexa, like, you know, like really, really high end cameras. And my crew was shooting with FX fx3s and like canon 5d mark 4s um and i felt like really like oh my god i'm not doing this right like i should absolutely be spending 10 times as much on equipment like they are like because that's what it takes to i guess make a documentary but you know i i found out very quickly that you know uh fx9 isn't going to save you if your story is crap you know like it's not going to save you if your characters uh don't connect with the audience at all like really that's fundamentally what we crave when we watch movies or documentaries and i think that's why nomadland did so well is because it really just forced everyone to to only focus on the core things that mattered and it's not lighting it's not you know a crew of a hundred people it's it's you know it's just people in their real selves in real moments in very real places in the U.S.
0: Yeah, I think that now this generation is starting to realize that authenticity matters more than just that those high-end materialistic looking sets and the story really failing altogether. Um, because it really comes down to good writing. Like a good script makes a good film. And I know with us on set, like um, comparing this to Nomadland, that they had a small crew that were really all passionate about the story who really all came together. Um, and I felt like when I was listening to their story, it, it reminded me of our story and like us working in this shore and overcoming challenges that we had, like we had no budget. We had like $200 and we had two days to shoot the film. And, you know, we just didn't give up. We all put it our all and um, showing that love and just care For a project, really shows in the final product, and I think that that's something that really needs to be carried on on all film sets. It's just like having everyone really just be a part of it, and you know, showing that like love and care for the story because our story is something that isn't told either. Like all is well was so different, and yeah, it's just yeah, a lot a lot comes down to authentic storytelling, but when there's a lot of uh, passion behind it, it really shows
1: in the final product. It sure does. And like I told everyone before the challenge started, I was like, you know, like I will be your champion. I will do whatever you need. As long as everyone has yes in their heart, always like we're going to be fine. And the whole like, yes, in your heart helped us out with like securing car stage. That's a $30,000 service that we got for free. And I think a lot of people in my position would have been really afraid to ask for that for free, you know, like how dare we even suggest that we can, you know, uh, I talked someone down to giving us it for free. And, and all I did was just talk to the guy for like 10 minutes. I found out he was also in the military, was a veteran, talked for like 20 minutes about our experiences. And we immediately had that connection where he's like, you know what, I believe in your crew like they seem like tight like it, it feels like this is going to be a good product. I know the director, I know the DP. Um like sure, let's give it a roll with like, you know, our train set which they hadn't like really used at all. Um so yeah, I mean it just it taught me to always like sometimes we have no in our heart first before we even ask, before we just make assumptions that like, oh, it's not going to work. Oh, they're going to say no. Oh, they're like and we just, we we wrap ourselves in our own red tape. And that is what limits us as creative directors and producers is like, sometimes we just get in our own head when really, you know, you just need to just at least try, at least ask. The worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to say no, and then you'll be in the exact same situation you were in before, not worse, <laughs> you know, just the exact same. So you might as well take the risk because there's only benefit and upshot. And you're right. I think our story, I mean, it's so incredible that it was written in like a matter of hours it was shot in only two days like editing in a few days like you know it's it's incredible with you know, if we do have budget, if we do have, um, you know, a crew, it kind of shows that like women are very capable of achieving the exact same things as men in the entertainment space, um, which is you know quality and respect and all of these things. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was really really cool and and you know definitely thankful that Women's Week and Film Challenge took a took a risk on us <laughs> and gave us all of the that equipment and and the time to be able to do a thing like that.
0: Yeah, it's incredible that we even have a platform that we're able to all come together. And I was like about to not even I didn't even hear about the challenge until one of my friends was like, hey, you should apply to this. I'm like, sure. Like, I don't know if I'll get picked, but sure, whatever. And um, being selected and then meeting all of you guys, I just felt like wow, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like, when are we going to be able to do this again? Even though I'd love for us to all work together, you know, sometimes we're all doing our own thing and that might not happen. But the opportunity to make something like this was something that I don't think I would get again because all of you guys are so unique in your own ways. And I've learned so much from just that like small amount of time and like I was saying to you earlier, like we we still all connect where we still all try to work together. So like, who knows, maybe we'll come up with our own production company later down so we can just like all remain in the same space and never leave each other. Um, <laughs> I
1: wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> hate that. Honestly, I would really yeah. dig that. Um, yeah, like I, I'm like constantly impressed. And, you know, there's really... The biggest thing is just networking and connections because you just never know when that's going to help you later on in your career. Like I got brought on to this Ivy Grace the short doc assignment, um, but I was called up by a friend I who I worked with in 2018, like four years ago. Um, and granted, you know we still to keep in touch. She's in LA, I'm in New York. Um, we don't see each other very often, but. You know, she was like, you know, I-, I got hit up for this project. I want you as producer director. Like, come on out. And it's it's just moments like that. You never know when you're gonna have a moment like that where someone is gonna call you, Chelsea, three years from now and be like, hey, I worked with you on set for all is well. This thing just dropped. Like, I need your energy. Like, please come out. Like that, like you never know when that's gonna happen. And that's the whole industry. Like, that's why, like, we all joke, like, don't go to film school. Like, you know, it's 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 good. And like, you know, obviously the people who do it, they, they also network there, but so much of your work is just project to project to project. Um, and that's how you get work later on down the line. So yeah, I agree. I would be so stoked and honored to work with team Sandoval again. And hopefully that happens, uh, in our lifetime.
0: Actually, I do have one last question for you. What was a documentary that really stood out to you that you directed and that you really keep close to your heart?
1: Um, so I would say it is this Ivy Grace documentary. So, um, all of the stuff that I've done in the past has been like branded content for digital. So although it's like nonfiction and documentary style, it it, like doesn't, most of them don't qualify, um, for like festival runs. Like I've done stories on, um, you know, characters in France, like during the pandemic who like you know, there was a woman in South Burgundy that uh, used to work for the cruise line industry. And when the pandemic happened, she was like, oh my God, I'm stuck in boring South Burgundy, France, which as you know, is like not a very popular place where people travel. And so she went to like all of these like um, older people's homes and asked if they still had Solex bikes, which Solex bikes are a very like iconic World War I, World War II bike from France. Uh, so she bought up all these Solex bikes like you know fixed them up and now it does like these solex wine tours where like you know you get to do some wine tasting and then you can take this solex out on the road you don't need a license for it it's just you can kind of like mosey around all these like cute little french towns and it like forced her Um, to appreciate her hometown and also like slow tourism and slow travel post pandemic. Um, So like, I have a ton of those um, kind of stories, but like I said, they were generally all branded for a company. Um, So this was the year that I really broke away from that. And I started doing like true independent documentary filmmaking. So Ivy Grace was kind of the first one where it wasn't for a company it was like really just me and a couple other people helping finance it and and you know crewing up and putting it together really quickly uh and that's the one that like has the most like direct like this documentary came out it was featured on all these news networks and then all of a sudden things changed like the laws changed and um like that to me is like a clear like You know, this is what could happen if you make something that resonates with the population. And, um, you know, because of that, uh, like we've been greenlit to make it a feature length documentary to feature more women's stories that are in the same position to help out um, and educate people from other states that have these restrictive abortion laws. Um, so that like, to me is like the, like hero's journey, if you will, of like a documentary director, like, you know, creating a, a small movement, um, and having results happen as a result of that movement. So I would say that, you know, definitely the most proud of that one. Um, you know, I'm still kind of, that's also in the festival circuit and winning awards. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still like in the, the high of that because it just happens. Um, but I mean, there's just like, I've done so, so Many these stories. Um, you know, I did one in 2017, um, about a woman, she was the first, um, female chaplain in the air force. Um, And so like, it was just this really compelling interview where she talked about like being a one-star general and she's this chaplain, um, you know, and like there were airmen and and younger military members coming up to her and telling her to go to hell and she's doing the devil's work and like all this stuff. And she talks about like living in a fishbowl because that's what your life is when you're the first person to do anything. And it was just like this really, captivating interview. And, you know, like I said, like, that's always what I, um, what I, what resonated with me and what I was always drawn to was like these people's stories and, You know, as an investigative journalist, too, like I've really talked to a lot of people about very difficult things um, like losing everything in in a flood or, you know, losing um, someone close because of suicide or like drug overdose or like, you know, all sorts of topics that, um, you know, affect so many people day to day. But people are kind of sheepish and shy to talk about. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to pick one. Like, even as I'm like talking, like my brain looks like a freaking like cartoon cloud of like thoughts and like memories and all of these people that have like touched my lives um, just throughout my journey. Uh, And yeah, so it's, it's really hard to pick one, but I would say right now, Ivy Grace for sure is, is the one I'm most proud of.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, all your work sounds incredible and amazing. And I would love to watch some. So whenever you want to like send them through to me, I would for sure love to watch your docs.
1: For sure. Um, I for sure will. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Well,
0: thank you so much for sharing. Honestly, Allie, you're like a force to be reckoned with. Like I admire you so much for what you do. um, Because like I said, we need more of you. And I hope that You keep making some badass documentaries (laughs) and keep telling these stories that we need to hear. I appreciate
1: you. you. Thank you.
0: Yes, of course. All right, let's get into the film. So today we're going to be talking about Chloe Zhao's drama slash Western film, Nomadland 2020. Uh, But first, we're going to be playing our slumber party type game. So we're going to be doing this BuzzFeed quiz that has to do with your authentic choices will reveal what kind of movie your life would be. So, Allie, you can open up the BuzzFeed quiz. Just let us know what you're picking and then what
1: the options are. Oh, got it. Okay, so it's asking me to pick my dream home, um, which I didn't even have to look at all the other options. I immediately saw the Brooklyn Brownstone and picked that one. (laughs) That's like my, I'll know that I've made it, if I have a Brooklyn brownstone before I die, that's like my like dream goal, dream home, like dream everything is like, Brooklyn Brownstone would be amazing. Um, I've lived the transient lifestyle for a while, both like as the van life filmmaker. And then very recently um, when New York rent went up in June, my husband and I put our stuff in storage and we've been house sitting and pet sitting in the city (laughs) ever since. Um, So we've been living out of a bag again. And even like in this interview, I'm doing it from a pet sitter's home. So Brooklyn Brownstone is the dream for me um okay then the second question is pick an art piece that speaks to you which is tough because I feel like um I don't get art like I don't I try to I really as a photographer I'm like like I need to understand art more but I really just don't get it so um there looks like there's this um picture of maybe like the statue of liberty or like some like old um roman statue of a woman who's like shooting a laser beam out of her eyes so i'm just gonna pick that one um and then there's a question pick an outfit to rock um And additionally, I feel like I have like terrible style for New York City. (laughs) I just kind of like shop the clearance rack at Saks Fifth Avenue and I just whatever is less than $100, I grab it and then I just make it work. Um, So that's my style. Um, So I'm going to pick, there's like a cute little like summer skirt with a white top that that I'm picking okay then pick an image that makes you feel calm there's like books there's a diner there's someone walking in the rain there's a beach there's a forest and then there's a cafe um so what makes me feel calm I feel like I reject calm like my personality I'm like very like hustle bustle like fill my calendar don't give me an opportunity to like be alone with my thoughts for more than 30 minutes. Like I'm always like socializing on the go. So none of these, like, I don't even know what calm is in my life. Um, but I don't really read. So I'm going to pick the beach. I feel like I'm like
0: that too. I'm like, I need to have my calendar (laughs) full for me to be even some sort of like calm. I'm I have to have it packed.
1: I know. I know. Um, like my husband's really good at relaxing and just taking like hours out of his day to like play video games or read or just like do what he needs to do. And I just feel like if I do that for more than 15 minutes, I feel like I'm wasting my time (laughs) or like, you know, I could be like writing or like editing something cool or like shooting something. Like, I just don't know why my brain thinks like that, but I really struggle. Um, wait,
0: what's your sign?
1: I'm a Scorpio.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: That's Which amazing. Is like, funny, <laughs> are you a Scorpio
0: too? No, I'm an Aquarius. My birthday's
1: this month. Oh my gosh. Happy early birthday.
0: Yes. Thank you. It's in 20 days.
1: Okay. <laughs> got it. So we got, to- I'm like the very end. Wow. Yeah. It's I've always, I've never like, the Scorpio, everything that you read about a Scorpio is that they're like a huge bitch. And I'm like, you're like, I'm, really like, not. every time I read like any of the paragraphs, it's like, you're a sociopath. You're trying to manipulate the people closest to you so that you can get an edge on that. Like, it's like crazy stuff where I'm like, whoa, like maybe, like, can I like pick a different sign? <laughs> like, I'm, like none of this like resonates with me as a person. Um, Is okay. your birthday
0: in November?
1: It is. It's November 18th.
0: Okay. Yes. Yeah, so you're like the calmer Scorpio.
1: Oh, I didn't know there were layers of Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. That's <laughs> good to know that I'm the calmer as I like just talked about how I like can't be calm. Like maybe I am the crazy Scorpio. I, <laughs> um, I love it. Okay. Pick a bedroom. So this one, um, you know, there's, Like one of them looks like it's in a loft with like the sunlight coming in and, and you know, there's like two or three pictures where the bedrooms are really small, but they're very art heavy. Um, And then, you know, there's like, you know, dramatic coloring. Um, There's like a bedroom that's surrounded by a bunch of like moon themes. And then there's one where someone's sitting on a bed with a laptop with what looks like, honestly, like a globe or something. And they're like, um, doing the whole Polaroid picture. So I'm going to pick that one. Cause I started as a photographer before I did anything in the media world. Um, and I, I believe that like every frame in a movie, if you pause it should look like a, a, a photo. So I'm going to pick that one. Um, just cause I love my photography and then pick a sky. So there's one with, lightning coming down. I love storms. So I might just, I don't even care about the others. I'm going to pick that one. Um, and then pick a street. You could see yourself strolling down one's Mykonos. One looks like it's Italy. Um, one looks like it is France. Uh, one looks like maybe Majorca, and then two like middle of nowhere, um, like country road. Um, so that's really tough. I love all, I love traveling. Like I said, I I thought I was going to have like a media travel career for a while. So I've been to over a hundred countries and it's definitely like my biggest passion aside from filmmaking. So I might pick what I believe is Italy because that's where my husband and I met um, when we were living. Oh my God, that's amazing. We lived lived in a small town called Sicile. He was my neighbor I was like 23 years old and, uh, you know, we had like a summer of love, but we were both military. So, um, you know, he moved to Korea and that's like literally the longest possible long distance relationship it could have been. So, you know, we ended up not pursuing a relationship and then we reconnected like three years later. Um, and yeah, that, that obviously he's my husband. So it worked (laughs) out in the end. It was meant to Um, be. It was so meant to be like it. He's definitely like when you know, you know, kind of people like I immediately knew at 23. I was like, I'm going to marry this man. Um, I don't know when I don't know how, but he's going to be a part of my life forever. And he was so.
0: That's so um, cute. I love that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah Gotta make cute. a movie.
0: <laughs> a movie I, of your love.
1: So great. Yeah. Our first date was running of the bulls. Like I invited him and no one would come with me because everyone was afraid. I had really like chicken friends back then and he came with me and we did running of the bulls together. So, um, yeah, definitely want to do that with someone that you love or at least care about because it's pretty intense. but okay. So pick, okay. I'm coming to the end ish. I think pick an image that makes you happy. There's a dog running, love dogs. Um, there's someone cooking there's a rave, there's a giant bubble, like one of those big, like you tie a rope and you put like the bubble juice in it. And then it makes those huge bubbles in like parks. And then we got plants. Then we have a movie night. So I'm going to pick the dog running. Cause I am obsessed with dogs. Pick an artist you vibe with Lord um taylor swift sean mendes the weekend billy eilish oh this is tough because taylor swift and i are the same age and i really i'm a huge fan of her i'm a huge fan of the bleachers i'm a huge fan of the national and very recently unlike some of her recent album they've like all come together it felt like all of my worlds were finally colliding um so you know like there's just something to very admirable about an artist who has been in the industry her entire life and is still relevant and is still making albums that crush the charts. Um, I I don't know if I can say that about any of the other people on this list, so I'm going to pick Taylor Swift. Um, and finally, She's had a pick- very successful career. Oh, totally, totally, and you know, it's had a highs and lows and very public breakups and men and she's finally in a life where she's like you know she's got a dude that she's been with for a long time and she's like happy with her career and like all the lawsuits and all of that seem to be finally kind of behind her and I think she's just like finally calm and loving her life and mature and it's like you know I feel like we all go through a similar journey you know when we're trying to make it in any industry like we you know fuck up a million times in our 20s and then by the time we hit our 30s we're like all right we're calm <laughs> we found our people we don't have to like try anymore like try to impress anymore try to be uh you know someone who we're not like it, a lot of that changes I think and so it was yeah I resonate with that part of her um some of her music I'm like that's ah, not the best but as a character and as a person I think she's made a full character arc um and had a really impressive journey um okay finally pick a planet we got mercury mars jupiter saturn uranus neptune oh i'm sad pluto wasn't included i was gonna pick pluto if it was um i mean man this is tough i don't really know um i feel like mars like i don't know like I'm really big into aliens. I'm really big into um, like, I don't want to like go down this rabbit hole But I watched a video recently about like, is the moon hollow? Like, is it like, was it put there artificially? Like it doesn't, it doesn't act like a normal moon. It doesn't rotate. It like, you know, I like went down this like super long YouTube Reddit hole that I probably shouldn't have. And now I'm like, is the moon an alien spacecraft so I don't even like half of these planets I'm like I don't know are they even planets but I'm gonna choose Mars because we know it's real and we're currently exploring it and I'm just always curious about um the unknown so I'm gonna pick that and um wow okay so I got my results my aesthetic choices would reveal that my movie would be a scythe fi thriller which LOL, it says superheroes, air, aliens, robots. I think I brought up like all of those um, in the last five minutes. So <laughs> yeah, you're smart, innovative, incredibly clever. You're someone who is always 10 steps ahead of everyone else and isn't afraid to think outside the box. You fit in perfectly as the hero of a sci-fi movie, outwitting even the toughest of villains that come your way. So um, basically a Scorpio. So that, <laughs> you know, i a sci-fi thriller, which is funny because that was our... um our theme for the Women's Weekend Challenge.
0: I know, so unexpectedly. I was like, as long as we don't get sci-fi, and I then we know. got
1: sci-fi. <laughs> we all were thinking that. We're like, it's going to be buddy comedy for sure. And then it so wasn't. It was like the first one to get picked and it wasn't us. Um, so yeah, that was very, very interesting. We all had the same thought. We're like, not sci-fi, but we made it work. And, you know, it's it's doing well. So blessing in disguise.
0: Exactly. It happens for a reason because I really love uh, the team that got comedy because their film was so good.
1: Oh, so good. Yeah, they did a great job. Um, Are you going to do the the challenge too? this little BuzzFeed thing? I tried,
0: but it keeps freezing on my end for whatever reason. Yeah, I tried restarting my computer and everything. It like completely froze the whole thing. So yeah, I didn't really get to do it. I I tried to just click random things and I got rom-com and I'm like, Okay, I do watch a lot of (laughs) rom-com. Maybe.
1: Um,
0: But yes, that concludes our Summer Pretty Tape game. Um, I'm glad that it was really... Pretty much accurate. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> it feels like it. I mean, who knows, right? Like they probably looked at all of my choices and they're like, who wants a brownstone but also vibes with Mars? Like, you know, like it's, it probably like broke the AI, honestly. And they're like, just give her sci-fi. So
0: <laughs>
1: I love that. I love that. Um, well, let's get into the film. As I
0: said before, we are going to be talking about No Man Land, which is available to watch on Hulu. This discussion will contain spoilers for the film. So if you haven't already seen it, go watch and then come back afterwards to hear our thoughts. Did you want to go into what the movie is about? This whole synopsis?
1: Sure. Um, so basically Nomadland is, is based off of a book, um, written in 2017 about a woman in her, I believe like mid to late sixties, who, um, because of the economic recession is, um, forced to adopt a nomadic lifestyle. Um, so she gets a van. she, you know, she refurbishes it essentially. And, you know, she makes it easy to live in and she goes and she hits the road. And, um, um, you know, she meets people along the way who in the movie are real life actors. So real life, um, van lifers who have embraced uh, that life full time. So, um, you know, I think something that's really interesting about van life in general is it was really interesting to hear you describe what van life was, um, because you're right. After the pandemic, a lot of people realized that they were no longer needed to be tethered to a location to work, um, which gave them the freedom to travel and to maybe live in other places. But the majority of people that choose van life Um, they choose it temporarily and they choose it because they have money and a job that allows them the freedom to travel. And it is very much a privilege. And these people, they, um, you know, they're documentary, they're documenting their journey on Instagram or YouTube. And, you know, maybe they're making money off of it. Maybe they're not, but it is a lifestyle that for the most part, um, they it's it's not their real life they have a safety net they have a home somewhere usually that they're going back to. Um, even the people like my husband and I where we you know moved out of our house we sold all our stuff, quit our jobs and then moved to Australia to do van life we still knew that okay in a year, we're going to stop and go to New York and pursue, you know, what we want to pursue in New York. So there was always like a light at the end of the tunnel. There was always like an end date or at least a time where, okay, we can adjust. And if we don't decide, we don't want to do this anymore. We can pivot. Um, The characters in Nomadland are not necessarily this prototype of people who do van life. They're what was regarded in Australia as gray nomads. So they are people who are at the end of their life and are taking on this lifestyle with the intent to do it until they die. And that's a very different outlook. Um, that's a very different way to, um, really absorb these stories and, and, and look at these people. And I think that a lot of people that don't understand van life at all, they see maybe great nomads, um, and people who are older, who do it, um, as people who, uh, are doing it because they have no other choice. And that's not necessarily true either. Um, you see, Frances McDormand, she at some point in the movie has an opportunity to move back in with family. And even though she's in this house, she still chooses to go back to the van life um, way of living because, um, you know, it helps her, it's therapeutic, it's helping her with the grief of losing her husband. And, um, you know, Uh, Dealing with like this regret that she had about not being able to move away sooner and she's meeting other people that are um, talking about those same um, hardships and she's connecting with them as a way to heal um, from her own so it's it's two totally different worlds Um, and as someone who did van life in 2019 before the pandemic. You know, initially we were the same annoying Instagram couple that was documenting our lives and we were making videos about it. And we had a podcast called Work Our Way Podcast, which is a nod. The production company I now have is a nod to that. Um, And, uh, you know, it was very different. And I wasn't forced to see the side of Nomad um, a lifestyle that Francis McDermott and the people who watch Land see until the bushfires happened. And when the bushfires happened in Australia, all of the people with money and all of the tourists fled and, um, And the people who stayed were the gray nomads. We were on a camp with them trying to um, volunteer our time to, you know, help with the fires and help with rebuilding. And I was making free commercials um, for the nonprofit organizations to help recruit international firefighters. And it was very um, gritty, like very, like, you know, you're being fed like three days, three, three times a day in a camp, all volunteer, but everyone was older. And, you know, we were the youngest people there in our thirties. And we were talking to people in their sixties, seventies, eighties that had entire lives before they decided to embark on this journey. And, you know, a lot of their lives were rooted in, in loss, in addiction, in losing everything, in, um, having a profound sense of regret and, um, and being afraid that they haven't lived their life to their fullest. So they've chosen this life. And, you know, a couple, uh, one old man in particular named Jimmy that I remember, was like this short little 75 year old man. And we asked him where he's going next. And he says, I don't know, I'm just going to be chasing the sun. And so like, you know, those moments, like, choke me up because it's like you know you'll never know everyone's full story you'll only know like the parts that they're comfortable telling you but the reality is that this is um deeply and profoundly um lonely and um and although nomadland is trying to evoke a sense of community through following francis mcdermott you see that um that is that fulfillment sometimes is enough but oftentimes you're still left with your own thoughts and your own, you're just, you're just alone in this vastness. And whether that's the U S West or the people who surround you in a big city, like that vastness and that emptiness um, follows you until you find peace. And that definition of peace was different for different people in that movie. So um, very long synopsis of what the movie is about, but um, you know, I feel like I do have to break it down like that. Because when I was doing research and and trying to look up the criticism of this film, I was really surprised to see how many people disliked it. And in my mind, I think, it, you know, half of the people disliked it, half loved it. If you disliked it, I think it's because you came into it thinking you were going to watch a movie. And if you liked it, it's because I think you were thinking you were coming in watching a documentary. So, the people that were expecting to be entertained were disappointed. And the people who were looking at it through the lens of the non actors were impressed. And I think that's the difference. And that's why, as a documentary filmmaker myself, I loved it because I was able to immediately, like, you know, go even past Frances McDermott's acting and her character. Her character doesn't really matter. Her story doesn't necessarily matter. Her story is the conduit for the non actor stories to take shape. And like, that is what is powerful. And that is what is like, you know, like hearing people talk about their son's suicide and, you know, the the woman talking about the birds and like, you know, being 75 and having like brain cancer and like finding happiness in this very like simple moment. Like, I think that's what we all search for um, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not.
0: Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I think that we are all going to reach a point of our lives where we start questioning things like, what did I do with my time? Did I accomplish everything? Will I regret anything when I leave this earth? You know, and I know, traveling the world is something that I have strived for, you know, hopefully down the line that I get to explore, and I get to see all different parts And I feel like that would be something that I would regret down the line if I didn't do, if I didn't get to see what else is out there. And that also goes to show when people like move out of like their comfort zones, like when people move um, out of their hometowns and, they're seeking this adventure. They're seeking this new um, lifestyle. Like it, it could be scary. And I think that's why a lot of people end up not doing it or they back out from it. Cause it is, it is a scary feeling. You're leaving everything behind, you know? And like you were saying, you sold everything and you're like, let's go, let's go to Australia. That's, like, that is such a tough decision, but like, I know I would be scared, <laughs> but once you do it, it's so rewarding. Like you really get to like, I guess, be grateful that you took that chance on yourself and that you were able to see that outcome. Because without that, you wouldn't, like, if you never went to Australia, you would have not been able to experience that. You wouldn't have been able to, like, talk to those um gray nomadic people, you know, and or been able to help them during the wildfire and create those, like, documentary commercials for them. Like, that was so important in that time. And if you never made that decision, then that wouldn't have happened. It's like, it's crazy how our decisions like are the circumstance for like what the outcome is.
1: I totally agree. And, you know, being transient, being a nomad, um, you know, having the courage to say, you know what, I'm just going to take a year off and and see what I learn and see where it takes me. Um, those aren't easy decisions, but you know, it, it is like the great equalizer, right. When you're on the road, uh, and you're, you're transient and you're going from place to place, the world is both really, really big and really, really small, right? Like you are disconnected from the world. You're not on social media as much. You're only, uh, you know, in places where you don't have service and you're forced to talk to people that are in front of you versus the person that, you know, is an acquaintance in a different state that you hit up on Instagram, like it's a different relationship with people. Um, But you know, you're at the same time, your world's very big, because you're traveling and you're meeting so many more people. And, um, you know, you know, sometimes those people stay in your life, sometimes you never see them again. So it's a very like, you know, you're leaving or you're arriving, you know, you're either um, chasing something or you're running from something like it's and, and being in that space where it's all happening at once, it is an equalizer. Like it all kind of like settles and it all kind of works out. And and even as you are trying, if you are trying to find yourself or trying to find a purpose or trying to run from a thing, I think it becomes very, very clear when you're alone with your thoughts for as long as you are, when you're on the road, um, you know, what it is you need to do, what it is you need to focus on. And, you know, I think there's a quote in the movie. I think Francis McDermott says, um, what you remember lives, but I think I've spent uh, too much of my time remembering. And it's it's a, a gentle and powerful nod to being present. And, you know, there's like this belief that um, to be enlightened is to like really fully operate in the present and, you know, your in your consciousness, like you, you have a different relationship to your consciousness that benefits you and, and you know, brings you peace. And I think when you're, um, you know, trying to find peace in the midst of something that is heavy and something that, um, you're currently grieving like that, that in and of itself is like a muscle that I don't think we're used to flexing. And it's, you know, it's a meditation practice to, um, you know, be able to observe your thoughts. And if you're always thinking about the future, it means you have a, a relationship with anxiety that you know you need to address. If you have your, if you're always thinking about things in the past, like maybe there's regret that you haven't addressed. And it's this like balance of being able to sit back and, and register those thoughts and observe those thoughts and and be at peace with both. Um, while being in the moment and I think that Nomad Land definitely explores that it doesn't hit it on the nose um, so I, it's easy to miss and it's easy for people to say this is really boring and slow and depressing I don't get it like what is the story here and I think unless you've had those experiences and and are dealing with that currently like it, there's a different appreciation that comes from like that presentness that we all seek and I think that is what she's searching for in that movie.
0: Yeah, they were people who criticized the film definitely said like there was it was slow pace, but I feel like that is the beauty of this film. Like it was trying to capture as much authentic moments and for it to be really in the moment. Like there's so much that went into this film. And it's like if you really dissect the film, it's not just what we're seeing on camera, it's like the sound, like the sound design. You hear every little thing, right? And if you're on set with like 25 people, and you have like one sound boom like that you're, you're just like imagining like, how do they do that? Like, you know, like, how are they able to accomplish that? But it's like, you know, just like the attention to detail when it comes to landscapes, like those wide shots. I, and I love when I when I am directing, like, I love wide shots and just like following your protagonist and, and you feel like you're actually there, like you are actually traveling with them. Um, Because they went around like they went to like five different states to shoot. And this was what they shot uh for 50 days. It's a really long time to shoot a film. So they took all of that time to make sure that they hit every mark. And you you see like those different cuts um where you're seeing um an overhead shot of just like the trees and have you ever watched a movie where you watch it the first time and then you forget and then you watch it the second time and you're like, oh yeah, like that's what happened. Like, I forgot about this see like when her when her plates dropped. I forgot Mm -hmm. that she had mentioned in the beginning how this was a sentimental piece to her, like the plates that her father gave her for her high school graduation. And then the person that's trying to help her, I forget his name, but that guy who's like with her throughout the movie, um, he ends up dropping the plates. And I felt hurt. I'm like, oh no, like uh, I would have felt so heartbroken because that was a sentimental piece to her. She's like viewing photographs that were actually her photographs, like those are actual uh, personal pieces, as well as those plates. Her dad actually gifted those to her. So it's including those little things and then learning about them. You just realize how much heart everything had, like every little detail
1: had meaning. Right yeah and it's it's an interesting nod to the role that like materials play in our life and the sentimental value of a thing versus not having that thing or having a broken thing and still cherishing it and still like keeping it close to you um so yeah I think all of those moments are super powerful but getting back to what you were mentioning about the way that it shot I agree like the wide shots were um just a really refreshing way to um really remind ourselves constantly that she existed in this very beautiful environment like the 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 edge of the um like of the skyline and the sunsets and the mountains and the badlands and like all these things were always present in every single scene even if she was interacting with other people and that's just a very unique thing because i think we've gotten really used to like prime lenses and being able to like really kind of blur parts of the background so that you can focus on the character and i know in the documentary space, that's like generally how we film almost every interview. And um, you know, like there's a lot of, Um, flexibility in using prime lenses. And like, that's, that's my go-to lens for sure. Um, But there's, you know, it definitely, it takes away from the, like, you know, being able to expand the viewer's eye and and have the viewer also take in the beauty of the background. Because the background in this film is magnificent. It's like, you know, people dream about going out West and experiencing it. And, you know, even though she's in this beautiful place, like she is still like battling her own demons and, you know, she's having to reckon with that um despite these beautiful sunsets and all of these other things that people generally appreciate so yeah i think that the the filming style and um the way that she framed each shot and shot it was like really really exceptional i was also listening to a podcast that she was on um where she said that she's she's a gamer so she plays video games and yeah. she, when she plays video games she's like generally um, the character that just kind of like explores the setting and like collects stuff. And like, you know, like there are some people that like skip through like the storyline and they're like, I just want to battle the boss or I just want to like do like the, the craziest thing that this video game will allow me to do. But she took that to like explore and You know, I also really like video games, and I play Grand Theft Auto, and I like, you know, also really kind of enjoy like the storylines of all of those games. And so she said that was like a direct inspiration and how she shot Nomadland was she wanted um, to get that same like sense of like I'm existing in this new world and I'm trying to navigate this new world. And you know, there was like a scene I don't know if you remember where she's going, she's walking through the camp. And it's like the, um, I think it's like the R2R camp or something. Normally it has like 10,000 people. It's a huge van life meetup. But in this scene, I think there were only 50. So it was like a lot more controlled. But it just shows her at sunset, like walking through. And like, there's people around a fire. Like, hey, Fran, you going to join us? And she's like, no, I'm just walking. And she keeps walking and she like sees someone else. Or like, you know, that's like what happens in like video games when you're just like okay, do you want to go left and talk to this person or do you want to go right and keep going? And it's like just a really funny parallel that I never really like dissected or like thought about until she explicitly brought it up in this podcast that, you know, she kind of wanted people to get that same sense of like curiosity and exploration. And, you know, like, yeah, we could have Fran talk to someone right now, but Let's also, like, let the audience hang on to her for, like, 30 more seconds and see what she's going to do next. And most people find that very boring. But, you know, I look at that as, like, I am curious to see where she goes and why. And, you know, does she go back to her van? Does she talk to someone? Does she sit down by herself like all that stuff is i'm like very curious about it's like you know it's human nature it's the human way and um you know i was very drawn to that so super interesting like the decisions that she made in terms of the way that she shot it but i think obviously it worked out cuz you know like i said very very successful film in terms of the awards that it eventually got
0: yeah i love to hear what directors did for their films like what their inspirations were and why they did what they did and when you're watching the film you don't really think about it until you do hear them talking about it and you're like oh okay like this makes sense and I know it's it's so unfortunate that people don't see the beauty of just like silence and just like following the character through these moments but I feel like that's what makes you feel like you're you're in the story with them and that it matters, like these little moments matter, because it's not just about, all right, bam, 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 we're telling a story. And this needs to happen. There's a lot of action. Like, I feel like watch. Well, when I watch action movies, like there's a lot that's happening. And sometimes you kind of forget, like, all right, what, what is this purpose? Like, why are we watching this? Right. And even when I'm making social media content, I'm like, what is my purpose in telling this story? Like, what do I want to share with the people? And I like that. Like, I love that director, like directing style that like everything has a purpose and that there's a meaning to everything because um, I'm a true believer that that, yeah, that you should definitely put a little meaning into everything that you like put out there.
1: Well, and it's so like cinema verite, which again is another like very popular documentary style. And, um, you know, like spoiler alert the one of the documentaries I'm working on this year is the full length feature about women with fetal anomaly abortions having to travel out of state, etc., and, you know, I was in a car with the husband and the wife in the back seat with one camera. Um, and, you know, like the whole 10 minute ride was in silence. And it was tempting for me to like, you know, start asking questions and see if I could get them to talk about anything. But I realized in that like very fragile moment that what people don't see is like the the dread and the like, you know, just like what goes on in your heart when you're on your way to abort a baby, and like you know, it's like I said, not her fall, It was a hundred percent fatal, but you know, it's it's important to show. I think those moments without words too, because it allows the audience to take a breath and hold it with you as this thing is happening. And there are moments like that all throughout Nomadland that I I think add power to it. And I could see like a hundred percent if you're. Like with a bunch of friends, and you're like, let's watch Nomadland and you turn it on and, you know, half of your friends are asleep by the second act. Like, I get why I get why that happens, too. Like, it forces you to really like be invested and pay attention. And unless you, uh, if you don't appreciate those moments, I could totally see you getting super bored of them and falling asleep. Um, But I think that those moments are very real. And I think that they're also important to show because they can add to um, the authenticity of the movie itself. And I think that that worked. Like we were able to go on this very slow journey with her because grief and grieving and finding peace is a slow journey. It's not fast. It's not cut up into scenes um, and it doesn't happen quickly. And I think, you know, Chloe really wanted to show that. And I think she did. So uh, continuing on with our discussion, is there a part of the movie or scene that really stood out to you like the parts that are the most meaningful to me like are burned in my memory forever like I revisited like a couple scenes just to remember but you know generally like if a movie has an impact on me I like cherish that and I hold on to that and I try not to watch it more than once it's a weird like not normal way to watch movies I think especially if you're like a cinephile but for me, like I really just came away with that feeling like a certain way, and I I didn't want that to go away. So I have not watched it in full since, um, but I will share the scene that made me ball my eyes out when I saw it the first time, and it was um, that conversation with Swanky about the birds. Um, so like I don't know if you remember, like you know Francis McDermott is talking to Swanky and you know, obviously like she's talking about how she's 75 and she's got brain cancer and, you know, she's like preparing for the end of her life. And like I said, I think in that moment, you really start like everything on the forefront of your mind is like, did I live the life that I wanted to? And, um, you know, it like, regardless of where I'm going next, did I, did I, was I my best version in this life? Um, and so she's talking to Frances McDermott about, um, where she finds happiness. I think it, I think the way that I interpreted it, that was like, so she describes this scene and she's a big kayaker in real life as well. Um, and so she's talking about, you know, kayaking, like, you know, a place maybe in Alaska or in Colorado, like a place just very remote, lots of wilderness. Mm. And she's talking about um, kayaking uh, during a a time of year where certain birds come out and they're all flying around you. And, you know, because she's on this lake and it's reflecting, it it feels like the birds are like everywhere. And as she's like describing the scene, like she just gets more and more excited and she's like talking. um, And like that moment to her is like her nirvana in her heaven like that like when she thinks about the end of her life that is is the thing that brings her peace and like i said before i think a lot of the movie is like you're dealing with trauma you're dealing with grief like what are you chasing like what are you like How do you remedy that? Is it through community? Is it through vastness? Is it through like being alone with your thoughts? Is it whatever? And I think in the end, like it all comes down to like the presentness and being able to like let go and find peace and, Um, like, you know, her just describing this like very mundane scene to the average eye, like, okay, a bunch of birds flying around. Cool. Like most of us wouldn't understand it, but in her world and in her life, that is the moment that brings her the most peace. And, you know, she like shares this monologue before she goes off and she like texts Fran and, and shows her like a video. And it's like, oh my God, I just lost it. I was like, that's the thing that we're all searching for. We're like searching for like our scene with the birds. So like, even now I get emotional because it's like, that's fucking powerful. And I think Chloe nailed it. I think like, she did a great job with like trusting these non-actors to tell very like raw moments and stories where they're like, you know, this is their life. And so obviously, you know, I immediately was like okay did, did she die like is this was that part real that part was not but her husband did die of brain cancer and so she said the one time in the movie where she had to act it was it did feel strange and it was hard for her because she was essentially like trying to like you know imagine what her husband was going through and like you know try to like present that to the audience but that moment was very much real like that That is where she finds happiness and peace. And so that to me was like a very powerful scene. And I don't think it's a scene that you get with actors and a million takes and a lot of money. It was literally just this moment of true, true authenticity that I think we all were able to connect with. I think we all have a very similar scene in our minds in terms of when the world ends, what is it that we see? What is it that we appreciate? And like, wow, like, what a powerful moment for those two characters. And,
0: and especially that, like, um, the last New Year's take when she lights up the sparkler, and she's like, Happy New Year. And she's just by herself. But she's like, content. She's still smiling, right? That she's okay with where she's at now. And, that, and that's after the fact that she already left being with her sister and left being with. I forget his name, but that, the man that was with her.
1: Yes. Friend.
0: <laughs> um, and so like, and now like thinking back into like watching this movie again and reflecting on like today's times and just how things are getting rough and how quote unquote we're in this recession. It makes me think how many people are thinking like this presently, because I know it's hard to get jobs right now. Um I know that it's still a lot of people, a lot of companies are unemploying their, you know, their employers. And so what are, where, where, where are we going to see ourselves in these next upcoming years? And this came out during a perfect time where people didn't have jobs and people were living the van life, um, or considering moving and living the van life. But I feel like it's just, I feel like we're still in this era where, People are trying to look for content, like just being content in their lives and for seeking out happiness, whatever that may be.
1: Yeah, well, it's a it's definitely also an interesting relationship to um, identity. And I think that in the book, like obviously all of this was happening um, in the middle of a a recession. And I think a lot of people are trained in the society to, um, you know, spend money, to get skills, to get jobs, to keep jobs for your whole life. And if you stay with that job, they're going to take care of you and you're going to get a pension and you're going to get a boat and you're going to have a retirement and everything's going to be fine. And there's a character um, when they're in the circle in that van life, when they're all talking about why they do it, there's a woman that says, you know, I had a friend, like a colleague that worked his whole life at a company. He bought a boat. He was going to retire in like a month and then he died and the boat never left the driveway. And like, what a like compelling statement about the American dream, right? Like this thing that we believe is going to take care of us. And like in the, in the book too, they talk about one of Fran's um, transient jobs is working at Amazon. And although they didn't really, t- they didn't dive into it that much in the movie, in the book, they really like dig into like the unfair practices and like, um, you know, like the, um like the risk, like, uh, like it's dangerous. Like there's like, it's unsafe. Like OSHA is not a thing. Like unions aren't a thing. Like they like dissect that in the book. And um, that's, that's the caliber of jobs that we've now conditioned ourselves to accept. And um, they're horrible and they don't care about the employee. And it's during recessions when people are let go like that, that you see Like the company never cared about you in the first place. You became married to this idea that they would eventually care and they never will. So it's part of the reason that I jumped back into freelance is because it's just this understanding that, you know, having a job and working every day of your life with nothing to show for it. Is the opposite of the American dream, in my opinion, it's being a slavery to, to a company and a lifestyle that is not going to take care of you. So, um, you know, all of these people that decided to do this, this van life journey and decided to become nomads, their stories are very similar in that, you know, they don't want to be they're, they don't want to be tied to a job for security, for finances, for um all of this stuff. Like that's such an unhealthy relationship. Like it's, it's a toxic relationship. If you had that kind of relationship with a friend or a significant other, people would tell you to break up with them. Right. Like, you know, if, like you had to work long hours and like, that's how you got money. And, you know, you barely had any free time. Like, like you have to reframe your mind to think like, why do we, poo-poo that with like relationships, but we think it's okay if it's with a company. It's the same exact thing. So finding like freedom and the confidence to do things that you love on your terms is a journey. And it's a scary one because it's not one that we're conditioned to think about living in America. And so I think the book definitely talks about that and the movie tries to reinforce that as one of the whys in terms of why people choose this lifestyle.
0: Yeah, that's something that like... I started to realize later down in my career that I shouldn't rely on, or just anyone shouldn't rely on someone for their income. That's what I keep telling myself. Don't rely on one person for your income. And um, especially with like COVID and um, just how things are going on right now, it's hard. And I mean, I think it's, it comes down to like fear and not knowing like where life could take you if you do take matters into your own hand. And now you're relying on yourself for that income. And that's how a lot of people become freelancers or they're on social media or they make their own businesses. It's like little
1: things, but- Always makes me mad when people say that you have to do things a certain way and that you have to like, you know, know certain people or do certain things or have a certain amount of money. Like all you need is like a vision and like a whole lot of grit and drive to do the thing that you want to do. And like I said, we wrap ourselves in our own red tape sometimes when it comes to talking ourselves out of why we want to do the thing that we want to do. Um, so, it, you know, sometimes it takes a minute to rip that red tape off. Sometimes it takes years, like everyone's different and they're all going through their different issues to kind of overcome that. But, um, I'm a huge advocate for just challenging the system and going back to Nomadland and Chloe Zhao, like she, you know, was an independent filmmaker most of her life. And I think she only has like 10 films to her name over the span of 15 years, right? Like, That's not someone that was born in the industry. That's someone that was born in China and like worked her way up and, you know, just had a really good idea and and really solid set of skills and amazing work ethic. Um, And she eventually met the people that helped her with Nomadland and eventually Eternals. So Um, yeah, like no story should ever be the same. That would be so boring. That would be so like not impressive. And like, I always challenge people, like it doesn't really matter where you sit when you listen to this podcast and and where you think your life is going. You have the power to change it literally tomorrow. If you want, you could sell everything and live out of a van in Australia, or you could sign up for a Women's Week and Film Challenge or like whatever. Like it's Um, all of our decisions are tied to our opportunities, whether we know it or not. And sometimes that's the only way to make opportunities is just to decide.
0: The faith is in our hands. Yes. I know that I read Chloe Zhao was like a bartender and did real estate, like did other occupations before even considering film. So Mm. that goes to show that you can go through many routes in your life before you come to a decision on what you really want to do. So I'm going to wrap it up before our time is done. Thank you so much, Allie, for coming on. It was such a pleasure to get to talk to you and really hear your insight about the film. I feel like I learned a lot more initially um, just, just talking to you about this.
1: For sure. I had a blast. This was so much fun. You run a great podcast, so well done.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you for listening. This has been Film Spill, a movie night podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest. All are at Pod. Tell a friend about the podcast if you like and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts that will help other people find film spill too. special thanks to Onyx Films for promoting us. You can check out Onyx's other projects at onyx-films.com. And Allie, would you like to put in any like your Instagram handle, any upcoming projects? I know you were talking about some, but just like
1: where we can just keep following you hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have a website, AllieDelury.com, um, where I keep everyone up to date on my current projects, as well as some of my past work. Um, I also just established a a company, a production company called work our way productions that will be live um, and ready to go in the next month. Um, but working on two feature length docs. So, you know, if you want to be involved, if you want to help out, um, just hit me up, always looking to have people on set, um, or filling other roles as needed. So yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. <laughs> Until next time, don't cry over a spilled film.